Welcome to Bethel. You guys can have a seat. I'm so glad you guys are here this morning. Well, you know the song that says where the wind comes sweeping down the plains? Yep, that's happening this morning, right? Right? We just all blew in here this morning, and we're so glad you're here. And if you're visiting with us this, this morning, we would love to connect with you. And the easiest way to do that is to go to our website, that is mybethel.cc connect, and there's a form to fill out there. Or if you're in the house, the seat back in front of you has a QR code that you can click on and just fill out some information so we can reach out to you and see how we can better serve you this week. So we're uh, continuing in our series called Kill the Spider. And the idea behind the series is we can't just clear the cobwebs. We have to get to the source, which is the spider that's creating the chaos in our lives. And today's going to be love over shame. And so it's okay that I love Snickers. It's okay. You know, there's no shame. But I don't think it's going to be exactly like Snickers. But we're going to be looking into God's word today and seeing how we can remember and put that into action in our life that love is over all. So let's get started. Good morning once again. Everybody doing okay? All right, this wind was crazy, Christy. I mean, man, Christy told me that yesterday. I don't think I remember it being this windy when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, come on. They wrote a song about it. You know it's always been windy. You can't get away from that here. Um, if you want to get away from the wind, maybe you got to move somewhere else. Is that an option? No. She's like, <laughs> she's really quiet over there. Uh, week four of Kill the Spider. Um, as we're working through this series, we've been tackling just this singular topic in the topic of shame. And, and shame is one of those, these things that, that really is the most powerful um, effector of our, of our lives. The, the biggest effect that our lives have is this idea of shame. We're either running from it or we're a- embracing it as far as like letting it affect our, our lives. And so um, as we've been working through this the last several weeks, today we're going to end with what I believe is the, the most important part of the discussion uh, which is the true freedom from shame is embracing love. It's embracing the love of the Father. Um, as we were, as I was looking, thinking through this topic of shame, I was thinking about stories, the stories that we tell. All of us have a story. All of us have a, a life that we've lived and a story that we could tell. And a lot of us, I think, think about our story and our personal story maybe not as like fascinating as other people like other people have a great story my story is not that good and we we end up categorizing our lives through the way we tell our stories so like when you think about how big was the fish that you caught 
you know, we tend to either exaggerate or minimize uh, that our story based on hunting and fishing. Uh, when, we, when we see our husband or our wife for the first time, do you, do you remember that moment? A lot of us have overemphasized that moment when we saw him love at first sight. And so we tell this story. I remember when I met Christy the very first time, and it wasn't really necessarily the love at first sight. I think it was the second time I met her that I was like, oh, this is kind of something's there, you know? So I think we, we end up overemphasizing things over time. And uh, one of the things we all remember, if you have children, is when your children are born, the day your kids are born, or when you move to a new city. We all live our lives actually interacting with one another, telling stories. Uh, All of our interactions are telling a part of the story. And so you're today in at Bethel Community Church, and maybe you're watching online, but our stories are intersecting even today. And so part of our story of one another coming together helps us combat this idea of shame. We interact every single day with different people. We interact with people that we like or people we dislike, and that helps the narrative in our heads. And so most of us have become ineffective in storytelling because most of us are too, uh, we're, we're hiding from shame, we're hiding from the opinions of other people that we've become ineffective and we feel like we just haven't quite arrived yet. Like maybe if I can add a little bit better narrative to my story, I'll be able to tell my story better. But the fact is that God, when he reached down and he, and he met you and he pursued you, and maybe he's in the process of pursuing you right now, when he met, reached down to you, he knew us, and he's called us into a relationship with him, and that changes our narrative, that changes the story we tell ourselves and the story we tell each other, because we're living the greatest story ever told. If you read through scripture, scripture's all about one narrative, and it's the narrative that God of the universe, the creator, is pursuing a relationship with man, and he's done this through love. And so we're living out the greatest narrative, the greatest story ever told. Scripture says that a person that doesn't know God is dead, spiritually dead, and eventually physically dead, but when Jesus comes into the mix, we are spiritually alive and will live for eternity with him. There's no better story than the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and I kind of wonder why we're so silent. Like, why... Why do many of us keep our mouths shut? And I think we feel inadequate to share the story of redemption in our own lives, and a lot of it has to do with this topic of shame. We've probably been shamed into silence, and shame has dominated us to be silent, and it's to be secret, and it's this quiet, deadly force. So during this series that we're trying to uncover shame, and we're trying to expose and actually expel shame, this is, the, this is the one spider that kind of spins out all the other spiders. And shame is one of those ones when you try to squash it, a bunch of little other spiders kind of come out that you didn't know were there because they're all wrapped up in the story of shame. We've said from the beginning that shame is hard to define, but I do know it when I feel it. It causes me to like isolate. It causes me to run away. It causes me to maybe get angry. Maybe it causes me even to crack jokes and to say things to distract people from the focus of attention on, on me. They create these like cobwebs that we clear away, and instead of dealing with the actual root of the spider, we end up clearing the cobwebs. So we've seen so far, I'm just going to kind of catch you up to speed, we've talked about joy. Joy is the indescribable feeling that removes shame. And so when you feel joy, you can't feel shame at the same time. And so the pursuit of joy is what removes the feeling of shame. It's a, it's a state of mind. It's felt when there's good news. 
It's felt when we remember something positive. It's felt when we're told something positive. I was talking to one of our friends here at the church last week, and I said, what's the feeling you get when someone tells me your, your great-grandbaby or your grandbaby was born, and you got to see him and hold him in your hands? There's something that ha- happens physically that's not just emotional, but it changes your whole body. So it's felt when we hear or we experience something positive, but it's elusive. But joy happens when we bring shame into the light. So we saw that the first week. Second week, we talked about the, that vulnerability is the thing that brings us healing. So the thing that we think is going to cause us pain, which is being vulnerable, transparent, open with people, that's what God uses to heal us. Now, we have to be careful with who we're sharing our feelings with because there are some untrustworthy piece, people. So we've got to find trustworthy people that we can share our burdens with. And then last week, we talked about change kind of over time returning to the original blessing. The original blessing that God created the heavens and the earth and he created everything that's in it and he said, it is very good. It is very good. And so trying to get back to that, we, we actually need to learn to celebrate and acknowledge brokenness in one another. When, when, when someone exposes something in their life or someone brings something into the light, instead of being surprised by it and shocked by it, we actually need to celebrate it because someone is being vulnerable to expose their garbage to the world or to you or to someone around you. We should walk with them and celebrate with that. And so this week we want to conclude, kill the spider, and we're going to be in 1 John. And we're going to stay in 1 John the whole time. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. There's also a live event on the Bible app that you can follow us along in the live event. But I want to remind us what spiders are. Here's the definition here here on the screen. Spiders are lies that we believe and negative agreements that we have made about ourselves and the world around us. And so a spider is always a lie. It's rooted in an experience, something that was a that happened to us or something that we participated in. And it always produces this lie that says you are this. Not that you did this, but you are this. For example, if you got away with lying as a child, could have been a simple lie, but you got away with it, and no one found out. You could begin to tell yourself, I'm a liar. Instead of, I lied this one time, it becomes, I'm a liar. And so that's a spider that creates all sorts of symptoms in your life. What about cheating on a test? So when you're kids, and you're looking over, and you think it's no big deal, and you tell yourself, well, I didn't really pass. I cheated, and so therefore, I'm a cheater. I'm not good at anything. Well, what about relationships? What about um, uh, parents, aunts and uncles? Whatever it is, it all is wrapped up in this idea of shame because shame wants us to hide. Shame wants us to hide in, um, in the lies that are around us. And so the spider is always a lie. Something's wrong with you. People won't like the real you. These are the, the lies that we've believed over time. As we look at 1 John chapter 4 today, we'll see why love is the greatest enemy, the greatest story ever told, the greatest enemy towards shame. It is the thing that conquered shame, and we're going to see the source of shame, or sorry, the source of love. We're going to also see the action of love, and so we'll walk through that in 1 John chapter 4. I'd like to pray, and then we'll jump into 1 John chapter 4. Let's pray. God, this morning, as, a, as we quiet our hearts, as we have celebrated new life, as we have worshiped you, uh, that day that you called us out of the grave, God, I pray that as we work through 1 John chapter 4, that you would be hear with us and that you would be clear, that your spirit would convince our hearts. And God, that one last push towards love uh, would be real in each of our lives. God, I'm asking this morning that you'd give us someone that's trustworthy that we can walk with and we can share and serve in order to walk away from the shame that just keeps us in bondage. Jesus, we love you. We thank you so much for that day 
that you called us to yourself. In your name we pray. Amen. 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be there in verse 7, okay? 1 John 4, 7. says, Dear friends, let us continue, and then there's the word, love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, have you heard that maybe your whole life, God is love? And it's kind of like, okay, God is love. We don't understand that the actual essence of God is this idea of love. And so love is God, and God is love. We have this human experience when it comes to love that we don't quite understand this supernatural thing that happens. Um, you think that you love something, and maybe it's more of a liking or more of a preference or more of a, um, oh, I kind of like that person. And so there's these different kinds of love that we find in Scripture, and this particular love is the word agape. And you've probably heard this at some point or another in your life, but agape actually means affection, goodwill, love, or benevolence. And so when you think about agape, agape is a sacrificial, it's, a, it's an action part of love. The other definitions of love that we've translated into English, love, mean other things like friendship and brotherly affection, and it could mean even erotic love. There's several kinds of love, but this specific one, it says that God is love. When we love one another, we're proving that we know God and we love God. Well, this word know is actually an intimate knowledge. And so once you encounter God, once you encounter Jesus, once you encounter the creator of the universe, something happens in our soul that moves us from death to life. And maybe this morning you're, you've been exploring faith. Maybe you've been walking in this journey of religious activity at church. Maybe you're trying to go Sunday morning in, on a, in a, a community group or a small group, and you're still trying to pursue this idea that people have told you that God is love. And maybe you've never felt loved. Maybe you've never truly experienced love. This right here says that let's continue to love one another because that love comes from God. It comes through knowing him. And so today we're going to invite you into a relationship in knowing him because knowing God intimately is the, uh, is the best way to have true love in your life. God is the source of love. He is love. It's not just a feeling. It's a true action. We're going to work through that here this morning. Verse 9, it says this, God showed how much he loved us. Again, that word agape by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. This is the benchmark of love. This is kind of like the, the foundation that God created for love, which is simply this. He loved us so much that he gave up his most prized possession for us. I think when we, when we hear this, it really doesn't make sense because we, if you have children, or if you have a spouse, or if you have a brother, a sibling, or if you have a really good friend, you can't ever imagine giving them up for anybody else. And so when we hear that God gave up his own son, it seems a little, that seems wrong, that he would give up his son. And I think what it's showing us, this agape, this, this, this affection towards us, is so great that there was nothing that he was willing to go through. There was nothing that he wouldn't do in order to have a relationship with you and me. Now, if you're human like I am, you kind of look at yourself and you're like, I don't think I measure up to that kind of love. I don't, I don't think I deserve that kind of love. And I think that's the, the, the product of shame because the product of shame is to say that you're worthless. 
why would anybody do anything for you because you're worthless? Well, this says right here that love is actually shown through sacrifice. True love is nothing, sorry, true love is when nothing can be done in return to earn it. So you and I can't even fathom giving up that kind of sacrifice to embrace God. And he's not asking you to. He's actually done the work in order for you to have a relationship with him. It says this is real love. And so this agape love, this benevolent love, this affection that he has for us is so great there was nothing that was going to be in his way to have a relationship with us. And it's amazing that many of us struggle with this thought that God wants a relationship with us and yet we reject it at every turn because we can't understand how that kind of love would come through. Verse 11 of, of John, 1 John 4, it says, Dear friends, so John is talking to the church, and he's talking to you even 2,000 years later. He says, Since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. This is the direction of love. And I think a lot of us in an easy way say, I love God. I love God. And over and over again, John in Scripture, and when we see Jesus, it's really almost like he's saying, prove it. Prove it. He says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. So here's what it is, is our love for God is best represented in my love for those that I can see. In our world today, we are so polarizing and we're so upset and angry and there's so much chaos because we just can't love someone that doesn't think like we love, like we do. When you look around this room, you don't know everybody here intimately, but you're like, well, they're here, they must be good, I think I can love them. Well, what about someone that stands in, in stark contrast to you? Someone that thinks different ideologically and politically and culturally completely different worldview than you do. Can you love them? Scripture says here that since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. We, we can never show our love for God more than the way that we love one another. So many people are looking for God's love, and he, is, and he responds by sending people, people into their lives. Pastor Ruben and I were having a conversation with a real good friend this week. And the idea of, I haven't felt God's embrace, and all I could do was go hug him. Because scripture says that if I know God and love him, then I'm going to love others. That's, that's the reflection of love. And so you're like, where's God? Well, find someone that knows God, because that's how it is. Our, our mission at Bethel is very simple. We say this all the time. We exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. Love and lead. Here, here's the, the, the cool thing about Bethel. It is truly a privilege to, to be a part of this church. It is, it is one of the most loving churches that I've been a part of because it's not just skin deep. It's not just like, hi, how are you? It's truly, let's do life together. Let's walk together. Let's figure things out together. Let's not judge one another and let's love one another. There's something powerful about the relationship that God has given us and blessed you with here at Bethel. One of the greatest things that we can do is actually experience connection of knowing one another. Scripture says that if you know God, you'll love those around you. And so here's the question that we have to look at ourselves in the mirror is like, what, what do I think and what do, how do I act when I look at other people? 
when I look at other people part of the Bethel family, when I look at other people in my community, when I look at other people at work and people across the street and the people that help me at the store, how, how is my true affection towards them? Is there any love there? If you know God, there will be. Here's the proof of love, verse 13. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. And we know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. One of the, one of the greatest days of my life, uh, really on this, on this earth, was there's three different days that are, that are really, really, really good for me. And I'm sure there's others, but there's three that I kind of stand out. One was the day that I married Christy, and I, I made some vows, and we kind of did our own little ceremony, eloped, but we got a, a few weeks later, we got this certificate in the mail, and it just shows that we're one another's. Great day. Well, then another day was when I got this piece of paper, and it's just a piece of paper. It's no big deal, but for me, it is because it says Lily Ray Roten. She is, in Spanish, the daughter of Raymond Roten. And Christy Crossan. <laughs> That's how they do it in Latin America. It's her old last name. This right here means a lot to me. It's just a piece of paper, but this is something that means something to me because it's, a, it's proof that this little girl is mine. And then a couple years later, Max Henry Roten. Parents. A it says, child of Raymond Patrick and Christy Roten. Wow. What, a, what an amazing thing to hold this in your hand and say, Okay, this is proof that I have two children. This is proof that they're mine, this certificate. Now, the Father has given us proof as well. And the proof that we are his children, there is a, 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 a supernatural certificate, which is the spirit in your life. He has sealed you. He has come into your life, and he has proven that he loves you, and you're his son, you're his daughter. The Father has our birth certificate, and it's made possible through his son's death on the cross and the seal of the Spirit on our hearts. 1 John 4.17 says this, God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. There's two words that I want to highlight here, and one of them is perfect, and the other one is confidence, because perfect seems something that's unattainable. Well, the word perfect actually means complete or accomplished or mature. And so when you think about perfect, it means that we're on this process towards maturity. And it says right here that our love grows more perfect as we live in God, and so there's this continual relationship with him that makes this love grow perfect. The other word, the confidence word, is actually freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech, free and fearless, cheerful courage, boldness and assurance. If you see here, it says, we will not be afraid on the judgment day, but we'll face him with confidence. And a lot of people think that maybe confidence is pride. That's not really what it's saying here. Confidence is actually assurance that what he said is true. I'm his son. I'm his daughter. We won't face him with arrogance. We'll actually face him with confidence. It's humble confidence in that God says who he is. And it's, it's, it's like when your kids come to you. Uh, today I was in the lobby right before the services, and we were having a, a huddle with the volunteers, and my son Max just walked right through the middle of them, came right to me and hugged me. 
That's the confidence that we're talking about is that he's my son and he has access to me. Well, when we stand before the Father, we're his children. We have access right to him. And here, here's the thing that holds us back from freedom and liberty in this life. It's shame. And guess what the Father says? Just come to me. Just, just come here. I've got this. I know everything. I'm there with you. And you can walk in freedom from this. Fear actually keeps us from stepping into freedom. Fear keeps us from stepping into uh, into realizing what others are going to think about me. Fear is not letting people see the real us. Look at verse 18. It says, Such love has no fear, because perfect perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and it shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. It says right here, if we're afraid of the judgment day, if we're afraid of the end, if we're afraid of condemnation from the Father, maybe we don't know him. And Jesus is standing there. He says, he's not here to judge. He's actually here to accept. And he's there with his arms open wide for you. And so my question is, why not settle this today? Why not just cry out to God and say, you know, I've been in bondage with this and I feel like I haven't had freedom and I need freedom. Perfect love is perfected in mature love over time. Verse 19, we love each other because he first loved us. The final death blow to spiders in our life is actually love for other people. Because the only way to prove and the only way to represent the love of God in you is how you treat other people, how you love other people. Once we get our eyes off ourselves, we can actually see that others are in need as well. They need us to step up and show love to them. And I'm not talking about neglecting your own care. I'm not talking about abusing yourself in order to care for others. I'm talking about seeing who you are and then loving other people and putting your eyes on other people as well. well. You know that love is greater than shame? Agape love, the sacrificial love of the Father, is greater than any shame that you and I can experience. Verse 18 of 1 John 3 puts it like this. It says, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty. God is greater than our feelings, and He knows everything. If shame isn't, is a feeling that we can't quite describe, God is greater than that feeling. If joy is a feeling we can't quite describe, God is greater than that feeling. God is right there in the middle with us in our shame, and he doesn't deny it. He doesn't ignore it. He actually is there with us right in the middle of any experience that we have. Love is, our, is in our actions. We have to actually act out love. When God's love fills us, we move, we take action, we stand, we give, we're sacrificial, we open our mouths, we speak. It gives us confidence. When I'm at home, and I, I've told you guys this before, but one of the things that I do, I don't do it as often anymore because my kids are getting bigger, but I'll walk in the door and be like, where are my chillings? And I'll say it as loud as I can throughout the house. And my kids used to run and hide and wait for me to go find them. You know, they're giggling in the corner and they'd go giggle in the closet and I'd used to go find them. But now, Max more than Lily. Lily doesn't do it as much. She's a teenager. She's a little older. But he'll come running with his arms open and he'll come running right towards me. Hey, Dad, how are you? How was your day? I'll go find Lily and I'll still give her a hug and she'll still hug me back. But as they get older, love is still there and my embrace is there, still there for them. Love is greater than our feelings. And so since God is love, we could say that God is greater than our feelings. And we're not talking about ignoring or denying. 
We're simply saying that the answer for shame is love, and actually the answer for shame is God. Shame thinks it knows you. Shame thinks that it knows you more than you know yourself, but you have a Father that knows you and loves you. Shame may creep into your life, and it may try to expose itself, and it may try to keep you in silent, but you have a Father who has actually expelled shame. Shame may run through your mind, but you have a Father who gently walks beside you. Shame may spin webs that distract you and trap you, but you have a Father who has defeated the ultimate spider, and it's, he's ready to wrap his arms right around you. Shame may want to defeat you, but you have a Father who is with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. So we started today talking about how many times we feel inadequate to tell our story. And we feel like we haven't quite arrived yet in our storytelling, especially when it comes to this idea of faith. Well, today the Father knows everything about you and the greatest love story ever written you're involved in and you're part of it. And he sees you and he is very well pleased with you and he has his arms open wide and he's like, where are my children? Where are my children? And he's inviting you into his story. It's the story that's worth telling. The story of men and women that have been rejected and yet God, the creator, has accepted. I'd like to pray for you. There's many people out there that are waiting to hear your epic story. Let's pray. God, this morning we are thinking about Jesus on the cross and what he did for us. Hebrews says that he actually went to the cross for joy of what was to come, which was a relationship with man and woman. And it says there that he despised the shame that the cross would bring. He actually looked at shame and laughed because him walking through the crucifixion was going to unite man to God. God, shame is one of those elusive feelings that we really don't want to deal with because then we'd have to expose some of who we really are. My prayer today, God, is that love would overwhelm us and love would lead us down a path to experience true freedom, that we can lock arms with one another, that we can look at one another and truly say we love one another and prove it by our actions, prove it by the things we do and the things we say and the places that we go and the, the way we walk with people. I thank you so much for this church where you've given us an opportunity to exercise the one another's that we find in Scripture. You've given us an opportunity to lift each other up and find ways to motivate and love one another. God, this morning, I pray that you draw people to yourself. I pray that this morning, if there's anyone that does not know you, that today they would cry out to you, that they'd open their lives to you, and that, they, that you would embrace them, that you'd call them to yourself. Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for that moment that you said that God is love. And God's love is greater than any feeling that we have, even those feelings of condemnation. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and let us worship together? We're going to start with good grace. Amen. You guys can be seated. I don't know what you're going through today, and maybe you're in a place where you're like, I don't have a lot to be thankful for. Even if it's just the blood of Jesus, yeah. that's enough. It's enough to just start right there. And, and he can help you through. Um, one word that stuck out to me 
which you're not going to be surprised, is the word perfect, this yeah. perfection word, because that's something I've always struggled with is the, the perfectionism, trying to be perfect, get everything right all the time. And the thing that encouraged me was that word perfect. It does not mean I've arrived, but it means it's a process and I can't do it without him. I can't reach it, but it's that perfection. And then the word confidence, which to me just means hope in him. And right. so with him, I can have hope and confidence that I can reach only his perfection is love. Right. His, so. so God is perfect. And then he calls us to perfection. And I, I think what we could do is we could replace that perfect, perfect word with progress. Yes, and for so sure. It's this progress along the way. And he's, he already knows where we're going and he loves us right where we are. He doesn't love us over here. He actually loves us where we are, and that's what allows us to have confidence uh, before him. Right, because so. he just takes us right where we are. And I think that sometimes that word does discourage people, and they're like, eh, I can't do it. Right. I I'm can't out. be perfect. Yeah. I'm out. I can't get it. But the fact of looking at it is, no, right where you are is where you, that's where you start. And then you just one little step at a time with Christ's help, we have that hope to achieve the, the, his love, and it's only through him and with him. So. Yeah, so it's kind of a weird side comparison. So if you're like me, you have a you have your maps and and you get your directions, and you're like, okay, it's going to take me 16 minutes to get to wherever I'm going. My goal is to beat the 16 minutes. 15. Right? In so 15 and a half. Seconds, yes. 14 and a half. Whatever it is, I'm gonna, yes. I want to beat it. And so the progress is, I'm, I'm going to get to the place, get to the destination. But the progress is, some of us feel like, oh, I just can't do it, so I'm not going to do it. But some of you are so good at it that you beat the map every single time because you figured out the progress or how to get there, what to avoid, what, what potholes are there, what streets to avoid. And that's the, the process of the, the Christian life is like, okay, so I know that I'm heading a way to connect with the Father, love. Okay, I don't know exactly how to get there, but I'm going to start this progress forward, this progress forward. And figuring out along the way, Paul says, examine, examine the salvation that he's given us. And that's all it is. And together we get to do it. I think the, the one another part of it if it wasn't for the one another, I don't know right. what I don't know what we would do actually. Right. So, all right. Okay, thank you guys so much for coming. Have a great week and remember here at Bethel we exist to love and lead one another to find and follow Jesus. If someone wants to give them a hug on the way out, if they don't want to, just say love you, all right? Have a good one. See you. No hugs.